Well, if I hadn't said it yet, happy Mother's Day. This is, uh, this is both uh, a great day for some and a hard day for others. And like all of life, we sit in the balance of those two things. And so I want uh, to make sure that we know it is right and okay to be sad today. Uh, we're not yet where God is calling us to be. It's also right to rejoice in the roles that God has given us. So don't feel guilty if today is a great day of rejoicing. And don't feel bad if today is a great day of mourning. It makes sense. We carry together in this life. It's what makes the body of Christ so wonderful is that uh, whether you know it or not, accept it or not, we are in this together and you are not alone. And we go in this journey. So where you are sad, let others rejoicing come next to you. Where you are rejoicing, join your voice to the one who is sad. And so it feels appropriate as I said that, because I'm thinking of someone specifically. I just am. Maybe you are thinking of someone specifically as well. And so because I am, I want to pray anonymously for the name that's in my mind. And I... I Invite you. That's the word I was looking for. I invite you, um, whether it's yourself or someone that you're thinking of, let us just lift those uh, names up to the Lord who, days like today, and people like me who get up and talk about days like today, it becomes a very hard day. Um, Let us just pray for those. God is with those people. Father, we thank you, Lord, um, for your children. I thank you for your family. Lord, it's great rejoicing to be able to live this life not alone, but with my brothers and sisters. Um, But God, it's not lost on you that today there are some, and and someone in particular that I'm thinking of, that today is just really, really tough, and it's understandable. Lord, our heart aches and our heart breaks for the things that are not right, for the injustices and for the sorrows that others have to feel. And Lord, I have no good language for this. And outside you and calling out to you, I have no other answer. I don't really know why these things happen. And so, God, I know that you are all-powerful. You are the creator in your presence. There's not one place where your presence doesn't go. And so, Lord, that becomes my hope. My hope is in you. And so, Lord, I pray for those that we're thinking of, maybe even those in this room where today is kind of tough. Lord, may your presence be felt as if uh, it was real and physical, like right beside us, Lord, because I believe it is. And so, Lord, let us um, sense that. And I call, Lord, your presence of peace to clothe us. Well, Lord, we lift these names to you. You love them, and we love them too. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to be in the middle half of Romans 8. I read the back half of Romans 8. That's the good stuff. I put the good stuff up first, dessert first today in church, okay? I put the great stuff. I mean, how many of us have heard that love passage before? There's no height nor death, right? We've heard that before. How many of us just, we, we jam out? That's our jam. That's when we, what, yes, man, that's powerful. Uh, all of Romans 8 
really is my jam, the whole thing. Um, but I want to start uh, this morning in verse 18 uh, through verse 30. And I, I will admit to you today that I am embracing and completely comfortable with the fact that this sermon does not have a formal structure. All right. A formal structure would be one that's like I've got three points and six subpoints. Okay. Or there's another formal structure called uh, like the narrative loop, in which I would preach the sermon as a story. These are all uh, narrative or all devices and homiletical devices that pastors use to put the sermon in form. It came to me yesterday that this sermon was going to be formless. All right. Uh, and I don't know, I'm just thinking of it on the top of my head. Good things happen when God shows up to the formless void, all right? Things, good things happen. Our entire Bible begins with God's Spirit hovered over the formless void. Yeah, that was my attempt to make a biblical joke, and it fell on deaf, on deaf ears. Good. When I say good things come from form, formless voids, yes, all of creation comes from a formless void. And so today is formless, but it's not without a word. I just don't really know how to say it. And so uh, I'm going to trust that the Spirit will give us structure and form as we talk about first fruits. All right, first fruits. How many of us are familiar with the biblical principle of first fruits? There's a few of us. How many would be comfortable in telling us what you know about first fruits? <laughs> yeah, like what, what do we mean when someone says the Israelites worshiped in first fruits? There's an example. Okay, what's that mean? What they do? They gave back to the Lord. What specifically did they give back to the Lord? The first crop. Yep, the first and the best. It's okay. It's kind of a large room. We can all hear each other. Several answers. Yes, the first crop understood to be the best crop, first fruits. There's also the principle of the firstborn. All right, did you all know that Israel, the Israelites, they also worshiped through uh, the quote-unquote sacrifice of the firstborn? Okay. Does anyone know what that was about? Very similar principle, just like with your crops. Now, this is an agrarian culture, right? And so their entire economy is, is uh, fruit, veggies, produce, all right? That's how they make a living. That's, their, that's the entire economy. So for us, uh, it would be appropriate for us, if we were looking for a cultural reference, for us to think about the first profits, all right? So the first profits from your paycheck. Everyone get in your mind, everyone get in your mind uh, like the ledger of your household finances, all right? How many can see them? Get the spreadsheet, get them in your mind. Whoever manages Whoever manages the finances in your home, like get your visual memory right on your checkbook right now, right on QuickBooks, right on spread, whatever you use, Excel, whatever, wherever your money is accounted for. If you're like me, get your mind on a wad of receipts that's just laying around somewhere and somehow it all comes together, okay? No spreadsheet, just the hope, I hope that it comes together. All right. all right, now that ledger, got it? It's in your memory, out of the finances, out of your checking account, out of that, it would be very appropriate for us to say first fruits is like the very 
first money that comes into that bank account. Very first. Very first dollar, whatever it is. Maybe some of you make more than a dollar a week. So the very first $10 or the very first $100. Maybe some of you are super blessed in the first $1,000 you make this week. All right? Or maybe some of you or like my friend uh, Ben, who plays professional baseball, and it's a lot more than $1,000 a week that he gets paid, okay? Bless his little heart, all right? <laughs> okay, first fruits. This is, this is the principle, okay? Now, don't get, this is not going to be as scary as it might sound that I just kind of made it, all right? It's not going to be as scary as that. It's just if you're looking for the relevancy, okay, I understand that Abel took a whole crop of, uh, of peaches and brought them to the Lord, and God said this was good, and then Cain got jealous and killed Abel because his, for, I get that, first fruits, that's awesome, I won't kill my brother, what's next? It's a little bit deeper than, than that. And it might help us to think about the intensity here if, if we translate the economic culture in which this scripture is written into an economic culture that makes sense to us. Not many of us live by the peaches we grow in our backyard. We live and have our being by the money that comes into our checking account. We rejoice and call ourselves blessed by the amount of money that appears in that checking account. We call ourselves cursed and we mourn by the lack of money that is in that checking account. It's probably easy for most of us to say my life is tied around my money. Not to say you worship it, but it's like, how are you doing today? It's probably closely connected with, how's your finances lined up? You know, we don't usually ask that, though. We don't talk about that. But it's totally normal. It's okay. Things have been tight. Uh, um, in my marriage, there have been seasons of, uh, where things have been tight with Jenny and I. And guess what? This probably won't surprise you, but our attitudes reflect that things are tight around the house. It has nothing to do with how many peaches we are growing in the backyard. It has everything to do with if we feel like we can live the type of life we want to live, the type of life we're called to live, the type of life we're working hard to provide. This is exactly where first fruits and the firstborn child comes from, directly connected to life. So in other words, it has nothing to do with legalism. It has everything to do with real life with real attitudes, with real moods. And that's why for us, if I were to stand before you and talk about how God demands the first bunch of fruits, the first bunch of peaches, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, yeah, 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 I'll do that for sure. Just as soon as I start growing peaches, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for sure and I won't kill my brother. I, I got it, man, we're good. What's the next lesson in that book? I think it's deeper than that. It's deeper. And I think it has to start first with us allowing God to enter into real life and to speak to us in our terms and speak to us in our culture 
All right? Just as God spoke in this culture. So we're going to talk about first fruits today. And I th- if, if it goes well, Maria, if it goes well, it won't, uh, it won't be as heavy as you're imagining that it's going to be right now. All right? It actually has nothing to do with your checking account at all. It, in fact, has a lot to do with your checking account, but really nothing to do with your checking account all at the same time. And if this goes well, perhaps this will be the last time that I mention anything about checking account. Romans 8, 18, listen to this. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with an eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself, real life, all right, all of creation, real life, what you see, the seas, the oceans, the grass, the birds, your very being, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That all creation will understand that it belongs in a familial relationship to God, that all of creation cries out as if it was very born of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits. Uh Uh-oh, you thought I just was rambling there at the beginning. I promise you it will connect. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow Grown inwardly while we wait for, redo- wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen, well, it's not hope, is it? For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. Anyone else this, this scripture speak specifically to them? Like, man, I don't really know how to pray. Well, I told you, Romans 8, the whole thing's my jam. If you've ever said that you don't know how to pray, give it a look. Romans 8, give, give it a look. I hope you find encouragement there that it's not on you. It's not dependent on if you know how to pray, if you've been to prayer school or been to seminary and Somehow you're a better prayer because you, you have. No, 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 no. Listen to this passage. May you find encouragement if this if that's your attitude. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with us, sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for you according to the will of God. Wow. So when we say we have an advocate and a helper in the Holy Spirit, how powerfully true that is. 
We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son. Now hold on here. Hold on to your hats. Guess what's coming? In order that he, we're talking about Jesus here, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn within a large family. Now listen, Paul says very clearly, you have received the first fruits. It is the Holy Spirit. And you have received the first fruits through one who's gone before you to dedicate the rest of the family as belonging to the Father that is the firstborn Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Right? God had one Son, Jesus. He comes before us. He marks the whole family as belonging to God as the firstborn. And then Jesus with the Father gives unto us the first fruits of the relationship, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Let's finish this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You're getting a theology lesson this morning, but I think it's important that you know that through Jesus and in the Spirit, you belong to the family of God. You are heirs to everything that God has. That's how, when he picks up in verse 31, what we read earlier, that's how he can get off with saying things. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Because it's not just that you're, you're a child to some emotional self-help deity. You're a child to the owner of all creation, to the creator of all creation, to the very groans that the grass and the trees and the rivers, the seas, even ourself, the groans in which we cry out for justice and for mercy, they rise up to the very Father who is our Father who is Lord over all. So if he can be for us, certainly he can take care of those groans. Because we're not just connected because we said a little prayer in VBS and made a bracelet of black, blue, gold, green, red, the salvation bracelet. You know what I mean. I think those things are awesome. We're connected at a much deeper level than just through a confession of belief. We're connected that one gone before us, one that represents the whole family. We call him brother. I love there's a passage in Corinthians that talks about our brother being the firstborn of all creation. We're not just somewhat connected through identity like I'm a Christian, so I'm connected to Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus, blood of blood, flesh of flesh is my brother, is your brother. He has gone before us to make a way for us so that the Father is our Father. That that Father, the same Father that speaks over a formless void and calls it into life, is your Father. So what do you think he can speak over your formless void? The power in which we belong to, guys, I think we cut it short so often. There's a story in Luke 15 about the prodigal. Now, I told you this sermon has no form, so just get used to the fact it's going to be a bit ADD, okay? There is a, there's, a, uh, there's a story in Luke 15 called the prodigal, and I had a friend once tell me the powerful nature of this story that just clicked with me this week as I was reading about the principles of first fruits and the firstborn. 
And that's this. The prodigal son wakes up and realizes that he would rather be a slave in his father's house than to be a king of his own. Come on now. Listen to that. You'll know you're close to the kingdom. You'll know you're close to an encounter and breakthrough in life. When you begin to hunger for the Father so deeply that you would rather go wherever the Father calls you, serve whoever the Father tells you to serve, give whatever the Father calls you to give, you would rather be a slave in the Father's house than the king of your own. Here's what separates the older brother from the younger brother in the prodigal son story. The younger brother is waiting to be acknowledged. The younger brother is waiting to be pat, or the older, it's the older brother, isn't it? See, I need to go back to school. The older brother is waiting to be acknowledged. The older brother is waiting to be patted on the back. The older brother is waiting to be seen for his faithfulness and loyalty. The younger brother, in his stupidity and ignorance, thinks that he can create a better life outside the connection with his father. So he goes out and he runs his life and he realizes that he has spoiled everything. And then he decides, I'll return, but I'll return under this condition. I'll work for my father. I'd rather be like a slave. I'll sleep outside. I won't even go to my own room. I'd rather be a slave in my father's house than to be king of my own. And so here's where the principle of first fruits comes from. That when God created over the formless void, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And so God gave the function to all humanity that they would be able to produce fruit. And so they did. God desiring relationship more than anything else. What God wants is not just some servant master relationship. That's not what God wants. And that's not what the master in Luke 15 does, is it? The father of the prodigal, does he accept his son's offer to be a slave in his home? No. That's not the relationship the father is after. The father's not interested in you do this and I'll offer this. That's a transactional relationship. There's nothing about the father, Shelley. And when I say father, I'm, I'm referring to God. There, there's nothing about God that is transactional in this way. Not one thing. He does not view his relationship with us in a form of transaction. And I think this is where we've gotten messed up a little bit in our own tradition. And that we get so jazzed to get people in a room that we rush them to make a decision so that Christ will live in their heart. That, unfortunately, can come off as a transaction. You say this prayer, God will do this for you. So the very first story, and I'll come back to that in a second because it's important to lead our children to confess the faith in Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that. I don't want to be misheard there. The first story of the first fruits, though, is Cain and Abel, referenced early, earlier. You know this story. Many of you know the story, right? How does Cain approach this offering? Here, you asked for it. You asked for it. You said to give you whatever I was able to multiply in this earth, so here it is. 
There it is. Now you give me this land, please. Cain. Cain brings to God what God has asked for. Be fruitful, multiply. Okay, God, I did it. I was fruitful. I multiplied. Here's my first fruits. Thanks. I'll see you next week. Make sure I keep this land. Now, how did Abel approach that offering? Oh, God, you are my God. You have given me the ability to create. And, oh, Lord, look what I've done with your grass and your soil. Oh, Father, you've given me a mind, an ability to cultivate. I went to your soil. I discovered that you could stick a metal needle in the soil, and it would come back with an electronic reading about all the nutrients that it needed. God, this is incredible. I just started doing soil tests everywhere, and I realized you've given me everything I need to be fertile. And so I'm offering back to you, Lord. In thanks and in praise that you have given me everything I need for life. You notice the difference here? This is where first fruits comes from. Do you notice the difference? You're interrupting me. I have work to do. I've discovered that if I work 24 hours a day, that I can work harder and longer than anybody else. Please don't ask me to rest again. There's my fruit. Make sure I have this land. I'm going to work nonstop. I'll send my servant next week, and he'll lay the, uh, I don't have time to come. I have to work. You're getting in the way of life. If I don't work, if I don't work, then I have no life. And God can be so dumb sometimes. You ask me to come And to give you something in which I have to be at work, I can't be there, please understand that if I'm not here, I don't have life. Notice the difference? In Abel, oh man, for you have given me life. Life comes from you. Life is in me. I'll trust you with everything. Even the very first that comes to me, I'll give back to you because I understand I've done nothing to earn the breath of life in which you've given me, and so I'll entrust all of my life to you. And I'm not asking you to decide which camp that you're in, but just to understand the difference here of the first fruits. The first fruits here has nothing to do with transaction. In fact, the moment that we begin to think about our relationship with God in a transactional term, the moment it becomes violent. Because God gets in the way 100% of the time. We don't have time to give God what God demands. It would be much easier if we didn't have to do that at all. If I could just work endlessly for my money and my income, and I didn't have to give God anything. When God is viewed as a transaction, it becomes violent quickly. And so what does Cain do? Cain gets upset because his brother has favor in the eyes of the Lord, and the only difference here is the nature of the heart. It's the only difference. It's that Cain views God as demanding and controlling. I will bless you if you give me this. And Abel sees what Paul talks about in Romans 
that through his adoption as a son and as a child of God, he has freedom, that all of it is his, every bit of it, everything he can see, everywhere he can roam, it's all given him for the nature of life and for the provision of his life, that God is in all, above all, below all, and through all. That every step out into creation for Abel is a step out into the Father's heart. There is now no separation between Abel and God. His heart and God's heart linked what Paul calls the spirit of adoption. So if he belongs to the Father's house, and he belongs to the Father's creation, And all that God created is for Abel. And all that Abel cultivates is because God provided for him. Then it makes sense for him to come with joy and thanksgiving into the house of the Father with everything he created saying, Lord, this is yours. Take it back and multiply for you are a fruitful and multiplying God. So here's my offering unto you. Multiply and bear fruit with this. Oh, friends, it is such a different... Do you get the difference there? It is such a difference in understanding. I've heard sermons preached before. Maybe you have too. I've heard people give instructions before. Maybe you have too. Give unto the Lord's what is the Lord's and he will bless you. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. I probably right. Who am I to disagree with solid advice? I just don't think that works for my generation. I don't think that works for me. It sounds like this is what I need to do to earn God's blessing. Sound like that to anybody else? And that perhaps I can't give everything that I like to give. Perhaps finances are are a little tight around the home. We live in that. That's a, a welcome to being a pastor, I guess. You just, you, you, you live into that. That's just how it is. That's okay. It gets to be a little tight around the house. And so if it's demanded of me to give what very little I have to give, and in order for God to bless me, I guess my blessing is going to be pretty small. And if I don't make that, then does God stop blessing me? And what does that do for Sunday morning when I invite you to come up and place your offering in this plate? It invites shame into your life, right? Shame that you're not able to give, not able to give enough. Maybe God will not bless you. If you write a bigger check, maybe God will bless you bigger. Maybe God bless this brother because this brother can provide more than you can. Or maybe God bless this sister because this sister can provide more, but God won't bless me. I just think whenever we begin to frame our relationship with you do this and God will do that, it goes wrong very quickly and it becomes violent and divisive very quickly. I told my wife I would not preach about our church today. I'll apologize later. I've seen where this subject has become divisive for our church family. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. When we turn when we turn our relationship to God about you do this, God will do that. It becomes violent quickly and then we want to become violent towards one another. And we don't even have to talk about our church. We can just talk about Cain and Abel. But what I've seen is that Cain and Abel's relationship, it 
replays over and over and over again. If you're a fan of literature, John Steinbeck's East of Eden, he does this. He takes the story of Cain and Abel, and then he applies it over Salinas Valley in the early 20th century and how it just reduplicates itself. It's an incredible narrative, and I think what happens with Cain and Abel happens to us. It's not... The first fruits is not about giving so you can earn blessing, right? I'm just, ooh, if I had one teaching point, I think this would be it. I've got this to say, and then I'm going to tell you something about procreative strength, and then we're going to call this good and go eat, roast, and have a Mother's Day, okay? There's one teaching point. It's this one. First fruits, that principle, and the principle of firstborn is not giving so that you can live in blessing. It's giving because you trust in God's blessing. Now, that the difference between those two statements is the difference between Cain and his jealousy and hatred and Abel and his righteousness. They couldn't be more different. We do not give so that God can bless us. Friends, if that's why you give of anything, if that's why you give your time, if that's why you give unto devotions, I'm telling you, your relationship will end violently. Take it as a warning. Because it'll never be enough and you'll never feel enough. You'll get up and pray every morning, 15 minutes. Maybe you get up at four in the morning and you pray every morning at four in the morning and you're dedicated and you're devoted and you're expecting God to bless you because you're giving him your time. Maybe I'm saying something wrong and like <laughs> lightning will come down. But I don't believe that I am. I believe I've experienced this in my own reality. That if I expect my spiritual life and my spiritual disciplines, maybe even my sermons, this is kind of a joke, to take a certain form and that God will only bless a certain form. And so I live my whole life trying to perfect a form. I've noticed 10 out of 10 times, Kat, I get angry at God 10 out of 10 times. And I get angry at Rex. This is a joke. I get angry at Rex because Rex is more righteous than me. Because Rex, he gets up at four in the morning, I presume, right? Fill full of presumptions in this style of life. I just presume that Rex gets up at four. Rex prays until 7.30. And I see, and I don't live with Rex, but I see Rex. You see Rex. We all see Rex. Rex has a blessed life. I want to be like Rex. Rex has never had any problems, at least from my viewpoint, from what I see. I've never seen Rex struggle, doubt. I've never seen him fight. Man, Rex is perfect. And I'm getting up at four in the morning and then spending two weeks in PHP. God must hate me. And he must love Rex and he must hate me. What am I doing wrong? You know what I'm saying? It ends violent every time. Every time we turn our relationship with the Lord into transactions until we understand that because of Jesus Christ, our brother, 
who has made a way and a room for us in the home of the Father and connected through Jesus, we are all brothers and sisters and heirs to the same kingdom. Until we understand that we are children and all that God has given us is for the blessing and overflow of God's love that this entire life is wrapped up not in what we do so God does, but God does so that we do. Love is not our idea. It's not about how much I wake up in the morning and give God my love so that I can then celebrate in God's love the rest of the day. It's know that in my sleeping way past four in the morning, God still loves me. That God still loves you. That God still loves you. That Michelle, that God loves you. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, for you so that he might be the firstborn so that you don't have to because at some point God realized, Michelle, you weren't good enough. But you were good enough. And so he sent Jesus to do what you could not do. So he calls you daughter now. Everything you've been given, everything, every minute of every day, all of your time, all of your resources, every bit of it, it belongs to God. Friends, I beg of you, submit unto the Lord Jesus Christ as your brother and as your Lord. Surrender unto the Holy Spirit who adopts you as children into the very kingdom of God. Surrender to the Father who is above all, in all, and through all. Surrender unto our Lord and know that every good thing you've been given is a blessing unto God. Do you trust that God will bless you? One last point, procreative strength. I learned that this principle of the firstborn and of the first fruit. I learned this week that that's called procreative strength. Procreative strength, the definition of that term is that the life of the father will live on through the son. One more time, because I think if you're into writing, you should write this one down. This is not my words. This is the words of a commentator. I'm quoting here. I forgot the name. If you really want to know the name, I'll go get the name from my notes and I'll let you know. This is not my idea. It's someone who has a PhD. They're really smart. Procreative strength. The life of the father will carry on through the son. So offering your firstborn, Ron, Moses takes Isaac up into the, or Abraham, excuse me, Abraham, how many of us make that same mistake? Abraham takes Isaac up into the mountain, Right? Because that's what God demanded. And God is out of his mind. <laughs> no. Because Abraham believed and trusted in God's blessing. Everything that I have is from you. Even the promise that my ancestors will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Everything belongs to you. So here is my firstborn child. So that the life of Abraham will be carried on. Come on now. Not my words, thank you, come on, for not my, not my words, but Scripture's words, Jesus is called what? The firstborn of all creation, so the life of the Father will be carried out through the Son, and not my words, but Scripture's words, whether you accept it this morning or not. I'm going to proclaim it over you because I believe in my heart it is true that you are brothers and sisters to the firstborn of all creation so that the life of the Father is lived through you. 
This has nothing to do with tithing. It has nothing to do with it. If you never tithe again, I trust in the Father that his life will be carried out through his children. And I'm just going to need a new imagination for how we do church. I don't want your tithe. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Nothing but mess comes from it. Nothing but anger and bitterness and comparing one another. I don't want anything to do with it. Here's what I want. An undefiled and pure heart where not one thing stands between me and my Father. Not comparison, not greed, not envy. Father, you can have it all. Every ounce of Jake Edwards, you can have my heart down to my feet, to the tops of my head. Every bit of Chipman Commons, I don't want to be able to run this place anymore because I can't. It only leads to anger and bitterness because of how much time someone is spending over little time that someone else is spending. And all I get is to be like Cain. Instead, Lord, I give you every square inch, all 28,000 feet. It is yours. And whatever first fruits comes from this place, Lord, we will sing blessing and honor to you. We trust in your blessing. You see, you see what I'm saying? I've discovered while I've been gone, I've discovered that unless I preach Jesus with my whole heart, every bit of it, nothing else makes sense. I've discovered while I've been gone that unless I live every minute of my day with my brother, Jesus Christ, and nothing else makes sense. God's not keeping a ledger of how much time I spend with him. I've found great joy lately hanging out with my son, playing baseball with him, and making myself stay in the moment instead of picking up a commentary because I've deemed a commentary more righteous than spending time but Ben, he's my firstborn son. The life of the father is going to be carried through him. If I spend all my time trying to earn God's favor, I'm going to become, Ben's going to become violently angry towards his dad. Lord Jesus, I pray. Lord, in this moment as we respond to you, we believe deeply, I believe deeply in your scripture that you've just interceded every strange word that I said and you translated it for your kingdom. Father, there's no room for guilt here. There's no room for guilt. So may it just be cast as far as the east is from the west. There's no room for status here, Lord, besides children of God. There's no one more righteous than the other. Father, we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But through your son, Jesus, we are lifted up and given a place in your kingdom. Man, to that we can say, glory be to God. Father, thank you for your love over us, man. What can separate us from you? Nothing, Lord. I've come to see that. that not one thing. Lord, not even the, the trials of pragmatic matters. Not one thing can separate us from your love and blessing. And I just trust in it. God, I trust in it with my whole life. Oh, so this is what I want us to do. When you came in, you saw a card. Everybody has a card and everybody has a pen. I challenged Ron Zimmerman earlier that this was to let you know what you think about me. <laughs> Just kidding. That's how you get panic attacks. Just kidding. Don't do that. <sighs> Actually, I think that's what Ron said. Ron said, Ron said, Is this, are we supposed to write down what we think of you on this thing? I said, yeah, give it to me during the sermon. That's going to help. Yeah. No, it's where, is, it's where is God? Where has God revealed God's love to you? That's it. Oh, that's it, that's it. My friend this week told me, 
that God is 80% love and 20% lead. With God, you get a leader and you get a lover, right? That God leads us. If you don't think that God doesn't lead us, you're wrong. God leads you. God will ask you to go places, but it's only about 20% of the equation. You see, God always loves first and then he leads second because if he leads first, then it becomes obligation and it becomes legalistic and it becomes transactory. God asked me to do this. I have to do this in order to get God's favor. No, no, no. God never leads first. God loves first. For God so loved the world. God loves first and it's about 80% of the creation. Before, but before we talk, before we talk about where first fruits, where your first fruits, our first fruits, their first fruits, anybody's first fruits, before we would ever talk about where first fruits might go, we first have to talk about who loves us and how much they love us. So the first thing I want you, as we respond this morning, I want you to stand up, I want you to take your card, and I want you to write down, stand up, I want you to stand up, I want you to take your card. I realized I said that real fast and you were confused. <laughs> Just stand up, take your card, write down. Where is the Lord revealing his great love for you? The second way I want you to respond today. See, you thought I was going to carry on about checking accounts. Please, not that dumb. <laughs> First, how is God revealing God's love to you? Second, how is God revealing you to love someone else in this room? Love and lead. God will 100% of the time lead you, but he will always love you first. How is God loving you and who is God leading you to love? How is God loving you and who is God leading you to love? Now, I know I've carried on for a while, but church, we're, <laughs> we got to sing this song. We got to eat the meal together and then it's roast time, okay? Just a few more minutes. As you write and respond, Caleb is going to play you may come and dedicate those if you want. You may stuff them in your pocket. You may put them in the offering plate. You can throw them in the trash. You can, I just believe God's going to do what God needs to do through them. There's a prayer room over here to your left. If you like to pray in private, that's a good place to do that. Let us sing this song. Sing together. Respond together. Pray together.